You're listening to a podcast from Jubilee Church, Farnham. To find out more, visit www.jubilee.church. Today we're looking at Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're carrying on with our Look Again series, and uh, looking at familiar passages, but trying to uh, just draw from them what we can uh, for this time now. And the passage that we're looking at this morning from the book of Acts is a pivotal moment in the early church uh, history. Uh, It highlights the importance of repentance, salvation, baptism, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we look again at these verses that for some of us will be very familiar, some of us, they may be new, I hope we can discover it's a passage that's as relevant today as it was in that moment in history uh, thousands of years ago. Last week, uh, if you remember, Catherine helped us look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, and the remarkable events of the day of Pentecost. Don't you think she did well? Where is she here? She's not here, is she? She, she's seeing her parents, that's right, we can talk about it then. She did so well, didn't she? I just was so impressed with how she had such a humility and authority in what she was saying. was very impressed. And uh, it's such a pivotal passage for us, isn't it? The Pentecost passage. Through the centuries in the Old Testament, at various points in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, there was a hope that... The presence of God would come on all people. You see it through the Old Testament. And then we get to this point in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples in tongues of fire. Although strange, it's a powerfully symbolic moment, actually. Throughout the Old Testament, fire was about the presence of God. Do you remember the burning bush in Exodus 3 and on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, there was fire. There was fire over the tabernacle in Exodus 40. And we see fire at Pentecost. And at that point, it was like it was marking out a new type of temple space where heaven and earth meet. God's holy presence manifests itself with his people. And the amazing claim of this passage, the amazing moment that it is, the reason it's so thrilling for us as his people, is is the claim is that Jesus' people are where heaven and earth meet. This is the point where the holy presence of God moves from places to people. Just let that sink in. Throughout centuries of the Old Testament, he came particular places. Now he comes upon people. And when this happens, they become witnesses of his presence. As Steve down at Hope Church says, they become display people of God. And a miracle happens, that wonderful miracle in the book of of Acts, where All the different nations can, in some mysterious way, hear what they're saying in their own language. Such a wonderful sort of example, if you like, of how God's heart is for all people. I just love it that there are so many nations in Jubilee these days. Just love that part of God's plan to bring all nations together. 
And then the Apostle Peter stands up to address the crowd in the church's first sermon, which is quite short, actually. And probably, you know, we need to get back to that. But anyway, we'll see how we go today. It starts in Acts 2, 21. And it shall come to pass, he says, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Alleluia! Alleluia, indeed, Juliet. I mean, isn't that an alleluia? Oh, Juliet, don't you wish everyone was as enthusiastic as you? I mean, I do. I mean, what a start to a sermon. And it came to pass that everyone who calls upon the Lord, that calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. I mean, that. Hallelujah. Shall we do oh, Let's just do it, shall we? Let's have one, two, three. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> it is great news for us, particularly us who aren't Jews. We are entering into something wonderful and special. And Peter proceeds to proclaim the gospel in this first sermon. He speaks about Jesus Christ, emphasizing the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ex- his exaltation to the right hand of God. He shows in his sermon how through the Old Testament there were many prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus and how he's the only way to forgiveness and eternal life. It's a wonderful sermon. It's so long, actually, I'm not going to read it now, otherwise that's the only sermon you'd get this morning. And from that point on, if you read through the New Testament, you see salvation is centered on Jesus Christ and there's no other name by which he can be saved. It's wonderful. Then the end of this sermon, its climax, is in chapter 30, uh, verse 37. And it describes the people's response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what can we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For whom the Lord our God will call. Isn't that a wonderful passage? That's why we've got it on our verses. To get in our hearts afresh. Look again at this passage. It's a wonderful passage. And as Catherine last week said, the Holy Spirit brings revelation and response. That was one of her phrases. So helpful, I thought. And so following Pentecost, the people realized they needed to respond. They recognized they had a need for salvation. It was a work of the Spirit amongst all these people. And Peter's sermon helps them. It contains the essential elements of salvation. It reminds us of repentance, faith in Jesus, baptism, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And how all these things are the core of our Christian experience from that point on, through the book of Acts and through the rest of the New Testament and through to today. The call to repentance and salvation, I think, is still relevant today. I really do. It is relevant for today as it was on the day of Pentecost. And I think we are all 
invited to continue to call upon the name of the Lord, to receive forgiveness and to walk in the power of the Spirit. And not just us huddled in this hall, but for everybody in Farnham who calls on the name of the Lord. Don't we want to see that? Don't we want to see people responding, having a revelation and responding to the work of God in their lives? Today I want to particularly look at repentance and baptism. And thinking of baptism and all that water, I'm actually getting quite thirsty. You didn't get me a drink, could you? (laughs) That was a little segue, wasn't it? Um, The passage is, is... a call to repent. And in the context we're reading it, it was a call to repent for those who've not yet been saved. The message was, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. That's what Peter proclaims. Thanks, Toby. For the forgiveness of sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us. God's holy presence with us. And as he spoke those words, the Holy Spirit takes Peter's words and brings revelation to these people from many nations. And they are cut to the heart, it says. Or some of your translations might say, cut to the quick. Or they might say, they came under deep conviction. The word that perhaps the writer, the Apostle John wrote, Acts, purposely used is actually the word pierced. So some translations put it, their hearts were pierced. Perhaps it was an echo of Jesus' pierced body. I'm praying that many in Farnham will be pierced by the Saviour. Are you? Those kids who are there at the light night. Friends and neighbours who are going to be singing with us this afternoon in the choir. By the way, Nathan is only halfway to his hundred at the moment, so we need to get some more of our neighbours into the choir uh, because he will have a hundred in the choir uh, for the carol service because he's full of faith. That event that's coming up when all the churches are gathering together in Farnham to put on a concert around grief and hope, don't you want hearts to be pierced by that? The panel... All the church leaders after that talking about hope in the context of suffering. Don't you want hearts to be pierced by that? As we go into the schools with the signpost team in the run-up to Christmas, all the churches coming together to do that, don't you want these little hearts to have heart, their hearts pierced by the love of God? Don't we want that? Like I said in September, don't we want... To weep like Jesus wept for Jerusalem, for our town in Farnham. Don't we want to be moved that people would come to know Jesus, to repent and to be baptized? Don't we want to see revelation and response as a work of the Spirit in the town? I'm praying many will be baptized. Are you? I mean, we haven't. Absolutely, Juliet. We, uh, we, we want to see people baptized, don't we? Because that's what we're called to do. We bring a message of repentance and baptism. Repent and baptism, that's the phrase for the week. Baptism is such a 
powerful picture for us as Christians. We, we lose sight of it sometimes, I think. It's a, it's a wonderfully symbolic moment in the journey of a believer. We're lowered into the water. We, we have uh, believer's baptism here for those who are newer in the church where we have a pool and we, we put people under the water and bring them, and we do bring them back up out of the water as well. And it symbolizes a death and a resurrection, a, a dying to our old life and a, a selfishness and all the bad stuff and, and a pulling up out of that, out of the water, symbolizing a resurrection and how new, a new life full of the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, all the stuff that Catherine was telling us last week. Romans 6, if you making notes, is a wonderful place to go to, to understand baptism. It's entitled in a lot of the Bibles, Dead to Sin and Alive to Christ. And it's part of this message, I think. I love how the message paraphrases it. It just captures it so well. Let me just read it to you. That's what baptism into new life of Jesus means. We're lowered into the water. It is like a burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. Amen? We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue. And you hang on every word. You were dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remember you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Isn't that just a wonderful way of capturing that? Isn't baptism just such a wonderful thing? That's why we want to preach, repent and be baptized. We want to have some baptisms, don't we? Well, we need to then get some people to be baptized, unless any of you need to be baptized. In which case, talk to me afterwards, because I'd love to have some baptisms. See, baptism is a a one-time act, if you like, at the beginning of our journey of faith, that points to a lifetime of putting to death the bad stuff and a resurrection into a new life. 
That's what baptism symbolizes. If you like, repentance, we repent, gets us to baptism. But then an attitude of repentance keeps us there. That's why we continue to repent. We don't continue to be baptized. But we want to have a life of repentance as believers in Jesus. For those who've come to faith, we've been forgiven. We have been saved. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. All those things have happened for us. But do you know what? We need to continue to have an attitude of repentance as we go through our lives. Baptism is a one-off thing. You don't have to keep being baptized. But repentance is something that continues. To repent, for those who aren't so familiar, the the Greek word that is used in, in in the Bible literally means to change your mind and to think differently. To think differently after a change of mind. That's what the direct translation might mean. In other words... When we repent, we have a revelation of the truth about where life is found. And it changes our mindset and causes us to think and behave differently. That's what repentance does. And it's such an important thing for us as Christians to get hold of, I think. In fact, thinking back, as I was thinking this week, I'd, I'd been a Christian for years... In fact, I'd even say I'd studied at theological college and hadn't really grasped what repentance was. It wasn't really until I bumped into somebody called Selwyn Hughes at Waverley Abbey House that I really began to grasp what repentance actually was. All those centuries ago, he'd written a course called The Dynamic Christian Living and it hinged on repentance and what repentance was for the Christian to have a dynamic Christian life and at its heart was the idea that that men and women have deep longings in our souls deep thirsts that could only be found or quenched in their heavenly father that was where it all pivoted on within souls there was a a, a desire a thirst, a longing for a sense of security, significance, and self-worth. This is the, what the Course taught, of belonging, purpose, value. Suggested that when this longing, this spiritual thirst, was satisfied in other places than God, we get out of alignment with God, and things go wrong, and repentance is needed. I found it so helpful. It's actually the basis of all the Waverley Abbey College model, the Waverley model, it's called. Um, It sort of teaches that men and women are physical beings, rational beings, emotional beings, volitional beings, and spiritual beings. And all these elements of our being have been affected by the fall. Wonderfully drew a picture from the creation story where the devil comes to Eve and lays a doubt in her thoughts that she allows to simmer. And it affects the way then she feels about God. So she begins to dislike him. And then to distrust him. And as a result, her will 
yields to her dislike of God and leads to disobedience. It's a wonderful little journey with four Ds. The serpent whispers, did God really say? Then he goes on to say, you, you, you will not die like God says. For God knows that when you eat from the tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It is such a brilliant story. The message paraphrases it like this. It says, the, the serpent says, you won't die. God knows the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything, ranging from all the way from good to evil. The whisper, the little whisper of the serpent was, God, God doesn't know best. You actually know best. And isn't that like the, the rallying call of the world these days? But as a result of doing that, you see through the scriptures how that little story then affects mankind. You see that the result of doubt, dislike, distrust, disobedience, other things begin to happen. Their bodies are defiled. Suddenly there's death and illness enters into the world. And all the tragedy and difficulty that that brings. Thinking was disordered, preferring their own thoughts rather than God's truth. Isn't that the way the world is now? Emotions were disruptive. The story you see, in the story you see that they experience a whole array of negative emotions that they hadn't experienced before. Guilt and shame, fear and anxiety, anger and resentment. All things began to bubble up. Their emotions were disruptive. And their will became darkened. They disobeyed God. They started living according to their own sense of right and wrong rather than following God's ways. And ultimately, their spirits were deadened. They no longer did they know God. They became disconnected from their heavenly further. It's a wonderful story to reflect on, to look again at, because it is so revealing of our world and how people are at this point. See, God has put within every soul, I, I believe, a longing for himself. Every soul in Farnham, I believe, has a a longing for God, that they're trying to work out what it is. They get little moments when they see a sunset or a sunrise and they just want to thank something, someone. There's little moments where they long for somebody. They long to be known, to be loved, to be valued. There's a deep longing in people's souls for those things. But before those things can be ex experienced by God, if you like, it requires a soul to be humble before God, actually. And most people find it really difficult and try and set out to resolve the issue of the longings in their hearts, the thirsts in their souls, in a self-centered way. Because we've all been affected by that Adam and Eve story. We're all affected by a disease called do-it-yourself. 
I mean, I, I think do-it-yourself is also, you know, a, a whole nother thing of the devil, but that's another whole matter. But in our souls, there's something. We're going to do it ourselves. We're going to save ourselves. In, it, in us all, there's a desire to do it my way, the old Frank Sinatra thing. I'll do it my way. Henri Nguyen, the Catholic theologian, says there's a metaphorical clenched fist in our soul. In our soul, we say, God, I'm, I'm going to survive. I don't need you. I know better than you. I'm going to do it without having to trust you. That's the clenched fist in our soul. I don't know if you've ever felt that, that spirit of independence in you. Have you? Are you aware of that in your soul? I have to confess, there's times when I, I open my Bible and read something that God's challenging me about, and I find myself saying, I, I just don't want to do that. Do you find that, or are you more spiritual than I am? There's times we read the scriptures and we think, no, <laughs> no, I know better than that. Great. That's the next page, Juliet. <laughs> Wonderful. And that's important, isn't it? See, the, gar- the Garden of Eden story is all about a declaration of independence. Adam and Eve says, we don't want God ruling our lives. We want to do is run our lives on our own, own terms. It's the story of mankind, isn't it? Through the centuries, through the millennium. It's a story that speaks to all mankind. And the result is that we come into this world and the center of our personality, we say, I don't need God. I I can determine what is right and wrong, the fruit of the tree. I'll deal with this. I'll deal with life in my own way. And this is where repentance comes in. (coughs) Repentance is that, that turning from independence to dependence on the God and his truth, his ways, his ideas of right and wrong. That's what repentance is. It's, it's turning from my ways of thinking to his ways of thinking. Repentance is a humble change of mind and heart and purpose. Once you realize you're like out of alignment with God. This is God's way. And I'm just out of alignment with it. And I need to get back in alignment with it. That's what repentance is. It's a turning from thinking and believing and doing things our way to thinking and believing and doing things God's way. That's what repentance is. It's a turning in another direction. And do you know what? It's a wonderful thing that every believer should be doing regularly, I think. Not that we're having to be saved regularly, because that's done in the past. We are saved. But we do, along our journey, have to just get back on course at times, don't we? You know, just get back on course, get back on course. That's what an attitude of repentance is. It's just aligning ourselves with God's ways. And as soon as I discover that my thoughts or my beliefs or my actions are out of alignment with God, 
there's a sense of wanting to repent. It's not that, like, I have to repent. But I want to repent because I know it's good for me. That's what it is. That, that's the sort of change. It's a different motivation. It's not that I beat myself up. It's crumbs. I want to be in line with God. I want to, you know, he made me. He knows more about me than, than, than I know about me. You see, he wants to deal with the selfish stuff, the stuff that makes me less me. The stuff that's broken. The stuff that is not how he intended it to be. And instead he wants me to follow his ways that makes me more me. That develops the fruit of the spirit in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And that humble surrender, or that lovely word that Lectio 365 use, yield, is like an attitude of repentance. We yield to him and his will. If we've given our life to Christ, he, he is Lord of our life. He's not like a puppet. He's not like a little genie we rub a lamp when we're really stuck. He becomes Lord of our lives. And most of the problems Christians get into is when they're not realizing Jesus is Lord. They're using him as a little aid, but they are really Lord. <laughs> so repentance is that humble surrender, that yielding to God's ways. And if it's hard for you, then it's good to look again at it. Maybe you haven't wholeheartedly surrendered to Christ and your will's clashing with his. Perhaps it's a moment to go back to your baptism and remember that you've, you've died and you've rose again. Look again at our baptism and what that means. See, to understand repentance, we, we've got to see what it's not as well. See, it's not, it's not just regret. It's not just feeling sad or bad. Some people, some Christians think they're, they're repenting, but they're, actually they're just feeling bad or sad. It's not that. It's not, it's not remorse, which is that sort of regret mixed with guilt. Judas was remorseful, but there wasn't repentance there. It's not reparation, that theological word that describes the works of reparation. The, you don't feel like you've been released from your sin, then you'll work hard to make yourself good to try and compensate for that. It's it's those who have a work ethics. I'm gonna, if I do something bad, I've got to do two good things. That's, just, that's not the gospel. If you mess up, you go to Christ who forgives our sins. Don't try and, now there may be some things you want to do to, in response to that, but 
our hard work, our being good, isn't what earns us favor in God's eyes. And it's not reformation. It's not that trying to reform ourselves in our own strength, that working harder to, to earn God's love and his approval, as we say almost every other week. You know, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's the grace of God. He loves you. Full stop. See, repentance is, is recognizing when we're out of alignment with what Jesus would do, when we're doing things that are not his ways, thinking or speaking or behaving in ways that are out of sync with what we read in the Bible. That's what repentance is, bringing ourselves back in line it does sort of mean that we do need to read the bible then to understand that which a lot of us these days are not so disciplined in and so but that's the way you know what jesus did and what he thinks and what he does and repentance is is humbly yielding to his lordship and that's what i want us to do as we come to the communion table I want us to ask that the Holy Spirit will give us a revelation. To use that phrase from Romans, that we're dead to sin and alive to Christ. Sin no longer has to chain us. Bad attitudes, poor character, none of that stuff needs to chain us, trap us, ensnare us. The truth is we are alive in Christ. We're dead to that and we've become alive. But the devil would have us think differently. And that's what alignment is. It's getting repentance. We're getting aligned with what God says about me. That I am who I am because I am, because the I am tells me who I am. Thank you, Nathan. I was listening and singing and it is catchy and it is good that's who i we need to get it in our heads so we i want us to be clear when we sin and mess up because we do don't we that we it's not like this is the cross here and, you know, we're here Christians just about hanging on there and we do something bad and then we go right back here, the other side of the cross. And we have to sort of work our way back to the cross and sort of flail ourselves and we end up back here until we do something wrong again and we're back that side of the cross again. It's not like that. It's not that we have to do that. It's, repentance is more about us aligning ourselves with what God says. Knowing the truth that we are set free. The truth is once you believe in Jesus, you're born again. You've come into a new position in Christ. Where you are perfect in righteousness, it says. One with Christ, seated with him in heavenly places. Hebrews 10 and 2 Corinthians 5 and Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3. It says it all over the Bible. See, sin does not... And cannot reverse that or cut you off from Christ ever again. Sin can't do that. Sin does not 
and cannot reverse or cut you off from Christ. Repentance is not about trying to regain something that we already have and can never lose. It's about aligning our thinking to Jesus and his finished work of grace. Consequently, we then do this and right behavior follows. See, repentance is nothing to do with pleading or begging for forgiveness, in a sense. It's not something that is something that we hit ourselves with in that way. We, we don't have to repent to sort of plead to come back into relationship with God or to maintain a relationship with him. Sin doesn't keep us out of the presence of God. It's condemnation and unbelief that keeps us out because we don't think we can go in. The truth is, the way is always open, even if we've sinned. And the Bible confirms this to us by telling that we, us that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence any time we like because of the blood of Christ, not because of our own efforts. Amen? Amen. So if we sin... And we, do, and, and, you know, if there's perfect people here, you, you might not be sinning, and good on you, and Jubilee isn't the place for you. Go to some other church. But for the rest of us who fail, sin, let us get it in the right perspective. Let's repent, be baptized, and then have an attitude of repentance that keeps us in line with God. Because he wants us. To be in line with him. If we sin, we just acknowledge that we've, we've, we've messed up. We apologize to God. We agree with his grace and approach him with boldness. And he accepts us because of Christ. And what we find then is we just align ourselves with him. That our thinking, our attitudes, our behaviors all get in line with God and we see a different motivation. Does that make sense? Martin Luther, the great reformer who started Protestantism, nailed his 95 thesis on the door at Bittenberg. It's a famous moment that I thought everybody knew about, but then Haley said she didn't know about it, so she said, I better explain it. <laughs> he went and banged them on the door of the Catholic Church there. And the very first one of those was this. When the, our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, he willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. What a wonderful quote that is. So can we look again at this verse? Repent, be baptized, be open to the Spirit. Let's stand, shall we? We're going to come to break bread. Perhaps Nathan could come up. I think last Sunday I said that we were going, that was the last Sunday of our COVID capsules. Unfortunately, my new 
paraphernalia didn't arrive. So we still have COVID capsules until next week. But this is a, little, this is a moment for us, isn't it? Every Sunday where we gather as his people, we gather believing that this is a place where his presence is. The holy presence of God. That's why when we come to this breaking of bread and across all the traditions, there's a moment to reflect on our hearts. What, what is out of line with God? What attitudes are wrong? How do I need to make peace with somebody I've fallen out with? What do I need to ask forgiveness for? How do I need to repent? How do I need to live in the good of my baptism, my death and resurrection? How do I want to get aligned with God? That's a little moment. So we're going to spend a moment of quiet. Just ask the Holy Spirit. Notice he's called the Holy Spirit. To come and just convict us of anything that we've got out of line. And then we don't beat ourselves up. We just say sorry. And we say thank you for your grace. Change me, dear Holy Spirit. So Lord, we come to break bread. We thank you for your death and resurrection. That we remember every Sunday as we take this bread and this wine. Just as you instructed us to do. We thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you that as we come to faith, we are baptized and we symbolize a death and a resurrection. And Lord, we, we don't want to live under the water. We want to live above the water, knowing the gift of the Spirit to guide us, to teach us all that Jesus taught us to do to convict us when we mess up but to restore us and so Lord we thank you for your death and resurrection and how it means that we can come to you as your children come to you as sons and daughters come to you as a loving heavenly father and to find forgiveness and freedom come and find a saviour who is wanting to work with us on our bad bits and to bring forth fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. So as we take this bread and this wine this morning, dear Holy Spirit, convict us and help us and shape us. And may it be a, a moment where we can align with God again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.